Right, well, have fun editing that into something that's not um, <laughs> too defamatory, but still makes sense. And if you need me to do a drop-in of any and all bits of that later, I can do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very 41st episode of Octothorpe, the podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 30th of September. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. Um, So we are recording at an unusual time. Because John's busy. It is now at a perfectly reasonable time for John and for me, but very late at night for Liz. And... When I when we recorded a bad time for me, I have nine cups of coffee in order to feign a wakefulness. And I have suggested this approach to Liz and she's like, nah, well, no, that seems like a terrible idea. And I, I have to question her commitment to the podcast at this point. Liz. Yeah, but if it's, I think if we're recording a podcast at 10am um, and Alice and Deva has to drink six cups of coffee, that is a little different than if you're recording a podcast at 10pm uh, and I've got work tomorrow. And we're just accommodating John for having a life. Yeah, how dare you, John? Yep, sorry. So we had some letters of comment. We had a letter comment from Chris Garcia, um, who has cracked his knuckles and loosened his neck. And he says, OK, let's do this. The five best high school films are Heather's Scream Election, Ten Things I Hate About You, and The Breakfast Club. And I think I've seen two of those. I think I have seen all five of those. It's a long time since I've seen Scream, but I think we're slightly stretching high school movie to include films with people of high school age who all get killed. Sorry, that's probably a spoiler for Scream, isn't it? I'm pretty sure the blonde girl gets away at the end of the movie. Now that's a spoiler. I, I don't know because I haven't seen Scream. I am, I am extrapolating from other movies that I have seen. One of my favourite high school movies is final destination three uh by the same logic kraken movie fran dowd has also posted about high school movies in the octothorpe facebook group if you're on facebook you might like to join the octothorpe facebook group um, where you get prime content like this she says if which is a good good call i'd say back to the future which is definitively a high school movie ghost world the history boys Cooties, um, some trillions, which we did actually mention. Um, Fran Dowd said, had John heard of St. Trillions? Yep, I have. I thought Tallulah Riley was very good in that movie. I assume that's the remake of, tri- of St. Trillions, of which we shall not speak. War Games, The Prom, which has Ariana DeBose in it, so I'm going to check that out. Was there an original St. Trillions? No. Put in my leg. We're not falling for that one. School's Out Forever. Oh, and Clueless, which nobody has previously mentioned, but Ange Rosin mentioned. School of Rock! School of Rock is a good choice, yes. Did anyone mention School of Rock? Because that's definitely the best high school movie. Have you seen If? Have you heard of If? Um, I thought you'd mispronounced It. Uh, no, don't know if I've seen If. No, well, I mean, you have to go away. We're setting John homework from the past. If is definitely worth watching. There are many films called If, so listeners might have to tell me which year. If dot dot dot. No, there's really only one. Ah, from 1968, starring Malcolm McDowell. Yep. 
I am not aware of that one either. That is uh, before my time. Sorry. Oh, God. Oh, God. Young people are young. I think Heather's probably has some things in common with if. My brother Dave messaged me saying, uh, as a letter of comment, what the fuck is Heather's? I've never heard of it. End. I was like, fair enough. It turns out that people who have similar upbringings have similar cultural references. Who knew? Yep. Uh, he also says he loves the introduction of the pick feature, so that's good. I'd been, I'd forgotten we had a Facebook group, to be honest, so there's a whole discussion about high school movies that I was completely unaware of. Uh, it's quite good. <laughs> what I like about that, though, is that, because Alison has also forgotten that we had a um, Facebook group, because the last time she posted in it was to plug episode 31. Yes, I do need to remember to plug Octothorpe in the Facebook group every single time. Um, I will get better. But join our Facebook group. We'll put a link in the comments. Not that Facebook links work very well, but there we go. I also forget to tweet it. But I think John usually sorts me out. Basically, you might be getting the impression that the bulk of the work on this podcast is done by John. Thank you, John. The thing is, I don't use Facebook very often, so... And um, this may explain why our listenership is not quite as great as it might be. But we have a very engaged listenership as a proportion of the total listenership, which is, I think, all of them. This is your cue to write in and say, no, 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 Um, long-time listener, first-time correspondent here. Having discussed high school movies in some depth, um, we should move on to topics. Oh, hang on, what's the Discord mention from Emily Raftery, Liz? Well, it's about high school movies, so... <laughs> hey, seamlessly weave that in. She says, Heather's is great, but the musical's even better. And I, I was like, and also the musical brought Heather's to a new generation. And I'm now going to do a John here and go, what, there was a musical? So I'm going to have to look that up. It had quite a short West End run, apparently. I mean, it's the same with uh, Beetlejuice, isn't it? That they made a, a musical of Beetlejuice 30 years after the fact. That is quite popular with a whole different uh, generation. Beetlejuice, best high school movie. <laughs> Finally, just on something that isn't high school movies, um, Bug Bradshaw uh, tweeted at us to say that you can totally have a microphone in a mask if it stands proud from the face like the masks with clear plastic panels. It puts the mic in the same good position as a headset mic. One way they sanitise those mics is 20 minutes each side in an ultraviolet box. Hello everyone, it's John here. Just a quick pickup before we get into the rest of the episode. The next episode will be our episode 42. And so if you have any reminiscences or stories or other things you would like to share with us that are connected to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or to Douglas Adams, please do email them in because we will be doing a segment next episode all about Douglas Adams and The Hitchhiker's Guide. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. We have some stuff to say about Novacon. Novacon has announced a COVID policy, which they posted on their Facebook page. And there will be a link in the show notes. So they've basically worked with the hotel. They have some limitations because the 
hotel's requirements for its own staff aren't as rigorous as Novacon wanted to put in place, which is still not bad. Um, they're going to try and have spacing where possible. There will be separate entrances and exits in the dealer's room and art show. They'll be sanitising. All the hotel staff will be double vaccinated. Um, all the programme rooms apart from the main programme have windows that can be opened for airflow. The main programme room has high ceilings and fire escape doors that they will open. Um, and they're going to require masks in the main programme, unless you're on the panel. Um, masks while moving around the hotel, not masks in the bar areas. Um, they ask you to be vaccinated where possible. They ask you to take a lateral flow test prior to attending the convention. Um, I, they don't say that they're mandating any of that, but um, we could we could ask them. Um, they say, please do not host or attend room parties, which is probably pretty sensible. Please don't attend if you think you have COVID. Pretty sensible. So I think it's pretty good. It looks good. I mean, they basically thought through and made reasonable judgments, which is all we ask. This all looks very sensible. I think, um, you know, I have a, a few kind of queries and questions about how some of this will be done. But like, in general, this is exactly the sort of thing that I think conventions should be doing. I think it's all very good. And this means that I will feel pretty comfortable attending Novacon and having a good old time, which is something that I am quite looking forward to achieving. Yep. Yes, I too am very much looking forward to going to Novacon. It'll be good. So, Corflu, I think we're still waiting for yours. Who else is happening in person? Is that it? Well, at, at the time of recording, we are uh, a couple of days before FantasyCon. Yes, they're the first in-person convention this weekend. Mm-hmm. Or last weekend, as you're listening to this. Yeah, we talked about FantasyCon's rather rather bare bones. Bare bones is a good word for a basic COVID policy. Last time, I think. So I'm having a quick look at FancyCon's list of activities, which will all have happened uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, but haven't at time of recording. So we don't know how FantasyCon was, but if you were at FantasyCon, do write and tell us what you thought, and then we'll talk about it next time. Oh, yes. Yes, please do do that. Because none of us are going. And obviously there's nothing listed, there's no parties listed, there's no book launches, there's no kind of events or activities listed that would involve any sort of mingling like that. It's basically all panels and readings are the only kind of programmed items. I think that is interesting because obviously even if you can go back to being in person, there might be things that you're not doing. You're not having kind of a big disco, um, you're not having like book launches with wine, you're not having big parties, bid parties, room parties, basically none of those things can happen. And so then you kind of, but you do need to provide something. So maybe you start filling up those late night hours with more panels and readings and so on than you might otherwise put in. Or you try and encourage people to socialise in more COVID friendly ways like outdoors or in smaller groups or more spaced out, but maybe not in the ways that we're kind of used to doing in the evening at conventions where you basically all cram in the bar and shout at each other for six hours voxel (laughs) (laughs) i think maybe there is an argument here and i'm not expecting fantasy gone to be the ones to do it because i think it's early but i think there is an argument here that we need to think a little bit about how we port social experiences into a world where we want to prioritize ventilation and kind of covid safety in physical spaces because i understand why they're probably shying away from those sorts of events but it strikes me that like if the hotel has a beer garden it would not be impossible to put those events on and just have them outside patio heaters 
patio heaters exactly that kind of thing stock in patio heaters for this winter i would say dry robes we had an entirely outside pub crawl a few weeks ago uh by just taking huge advantage of beer gardens and i appreciate birmingham probably has fewer beer gardens than southampton because it's north but still no everywhere has beer gardens now Uh, i've got to say i've actually just looked at um a slightly different page because there is a Google Doc linked elsewhere on the FancyCon website, which appears to include a lot more items than were on the page I was looking at. And actually, there are a whole load of book launches and indeed, apparently, uh, Friday evening karaoke. So you can just ignore everything I said about not being able to do those items. Uh, they will be doing those items. <laughs> FantasyCon's program is in a superposition between happening and not happening, depending <laughs> on which pages of the internet you look at. And at the time of recording, it is impossible to collapse it into a single wave function. If you went to FantasyCon, please tell us what the wave function looked like after it was observed. We would love to know. Yeah, we might have to do a drop-in on Monday morning. This is the sort of thing that it strikes me that a book launch could be done with kind of cocktail-style seating and kind of more, you know, I mean, I, I, table service might be slightly the wrong word, but like you could have drinks on tables and encourage people to sit around the table and have that kind of experience in a way with much less mingly than it would be normally, um, but which was potentially better than nothing. Um, so I'll be interested to see how FantasyCon has done this. And as I say, if you attended, please do let us know. Uh, and it does also say that the look launches are in a big room. So possibly they have a sufficiently large room that you can actually have quite a lot of people, say, sitting at tables. I don't see where... Do they have their... I'm on fantasycon.org, but it seems to be about... Oh, hang on. Do I have to click 2021? I see. And then I can go... Uh, it's fantasycon.org. I haven't loaded it. Uh, yeah, so you have to click on 2021 because some reason it's 2022... Um, and even then, you don't end up at the actual main website, which is somewhere else. <laughs> oh, yes, that's really weird. Because their website seems to be for the 2022 one. And I don't see... A, and I see the 2021 page, but I don't see a link to the program at all. So I'm not sure... Yeah, no, because that's cause it's on a totally different page. Okay. I mean, it's on an entirely different website. Oh. FantasyCon's website is quite strange because the main FantasyCon website is the con- is the website for next year's convention. This is a problem that EasterCons could have because EasterCons are independent in the same way, but in practice don't tend to. I had not seen this website. Interesting. And it looks like they are trying to run as much of a kind of just fully standard convention as possible. But it looks like they do have a lot of book launches, um, but they're putting them in their biggest function room. So presumably they can be as spaced out as possible. And being FancyCon, they do have the FancyCon Banquet and the British Fantasy Awards. And they also have a karaoke session on Friday night. So, I mean, it's interesting to me that I would say you could make panels a little more COVID safe. You can have everyone masked apart from possibly the panellists, but it's probably more difficult to make things COVID safe if everyone is moving and mingling and eating and drinking and potentially making a lot of aerosols by doing karaoke. Yeah, karaoke, well-known COVID safe activity. So it's interesting that they're kind of going fully back in to kind of not even the new normal. The new normal is the old normal, I think. So I'll be very interested to hear from anyone who's there uh, how it went. Although possibly you do karaoke by having the entire karaoke audience at the back of the room and the one person doing karaoke at the front, which could be quite funny. 
or you could have the person singing the karaoke face away from the audience. You, you could have the person doing karaoke in a box. There's a microphone sanitising issue too. Call back to the letters of comment now, listeners. If you don't mind sanitising your karaoke microphone for 20 minutes in an ultraviolet box, you can uh, have very safe karaoke from a microphone sanitization standpoint. So you just need enough microphones that you have... Uh, you can always have a microphone out of the box at any given time and, a, and an elaborate system of different coloured tape on each microphone. Yeah, that's not how karaoke works ever, is it? <laughs> no, it may not be. You could potentially have karaoke with no microphones and then it becomes a competition of who has the best operatic projection. But I'm not sure we want to be encouraging maximum aerosols right now. So, I, I, But I guess this means it's feasible for panels. You would need essentially twice as many sets of microphones as you had panels, and then you could have an hour in between each panel to put the microphones in a little sanitising box. I assume you could buy little sanitising boxes. I assume so too. And um, if you buy a lot of sanitising boxes, you can use some of them as UV lights for the rave aspect. I don't know whether FantasyCon is famous for its raves. If you buy enough UV boxes, you could probably use them as little mini gel docks and do on-the-spot PCR testing. <laughs> okay, you can't see us all giving Liz a Paddington answer <laughs> at this point. <laughs> we are looking forward to Octacon, um, when I will not have a cold because my immune system is now functioning properly and will not be severely depleted by random viruses. Octa Octacon, I don't think is having um, kind of explicit guests of honour but they are highlighting kind of regular octacon attendees on their website so um that's quite good kind of just bits and bobs about kind of people who come to octacon and people they're excited to see um at the convention um there's some cool people on that list previous guests of honour and just interesting bods um and they've got their uh program um kind of online so they've got some talks and some workshops which are happening um on zoom um and the social fabric of the convention is happening through discord um and anyone who went to a punctuation will be relatively comfortable with this kind of thing um one that leaves out to me that i won't be able to go to Ooh, I'll be back from holiday, then I might be able to go to it, is Paul Carroll is doing a workshop on how to write comic scripts, um, which is potentially something that would be quite interesting. Uh, and there's also going to be some role-playing games, um, which, you know, all good. Including the Alien RPG system, which I think is the new one, which is potentially quite interesting. And there's an adorable picture of an octoth- octopus with 2D20s and antlers and a staff. Mm-hmm. Oh, their little oct- octopi is so cute. Yeah, no, Octacon has the best graphic design game of any convention. And I will probably go to the workshop of making your own crocheted octo. Because I'm going to be doing some in front of the convention anyway, so I may as well make an octo. That, makes, that sounds like quite good, actually. I'm not sure I can crochet well enough for it. Do I need to have got, do I need a hook? I probably have a hook. Uh, they say you need about 25 grams of yarn, uh, DK if possible, and a crochet hook between about three or five millimetres or one to match the weight of the yarn. So basically go and like scrounge around and I'm sure you can find... Yeah, I'm sure I have both these things. You know, a small bit of yarn. And I definitely so what, have loads of stuff. What I love about this is that 
when you said 25 grams of yarn, my immediate thought was, like, I didn't know they measured yarn in grams, and it makes me think of cocaine. And having met people who have yarn as a, like, yarn addictions, one might say, that actually seems like a very apt comparison. Because I know several people who, who buy yarn who basically their houses are 70% yarn at this point. Well, I mean, I think usually, so one is that I think the thing is with cocaine, you don't normally just like stash loads of it for later, just in case. Um, I'm not sure that's how that works. No, true. My my understanding is it's quite Moorish. I mean, generally, I think it's, if I look at patterns, they usually have it in metres or yards. But if I just have some scrap wool lying around, I don't know how much that is in yards, but I can weigh it and tell you how much it is in grams. So it's quite practical. We may have gone off topic into yarn fandom. I mean, yeah, yarn is pretty genre adjacent. Mm-hmm. I was going to go to Firecon last weekend, but I didn't. It was online, um, but I caught what I believe is a disease known as a common cold. Um, and I have multiple lateral flow tests, negative lateral flow tests to support this. And I, have also, I am waiting for the result of a PCR test. It turns out that my body used to have an immune system, but it kind of went, oh, I haven't used this for a year and it doesn't spark joy. So I'm going to get rid of that. And um, as a result, I had a cold like nobody's ever had a cold before. It was like man flu or something like that. And I was very, very poorly um, for a cold. But I'm better now. Um, mostly better now. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit husky, but I'm OK otherwise. So that was why I didn't go to Firecon, because instead of going to Firecon, I spent two days in bed watching YouTube videos and sleeping a lot. So, And then the third day when I managed to get up just a bit so yeah quite poorly but as you had a membership right you can catch up at a later date yes but we all know i'm not going to do that but yeah i've got a couple of weeks right <laughs> to catch things on youtube and people keep telling me that there's marvelous stuff so i could but you know you want to know what your strengths and weaknesses are and i think one of my weaknesses is that i don't do that sort of thing very much i think you have much longer potentially Oh, good. That'd be good. Yeah. But yes, everything I heard about Firecon is that it was fantastic. And I did enjoy the fringe as it was last year and fully intended to go again this year and forgot. But I also wouldn't have been able to attend any of it live because of time zones and so on. So. Oh, but they had they had the bonfire? They did, although they did have the bonfire, which would have been in my time zone. However, it is, I think, not recorded and I was actually out doing things during the day last weekend anyway. So for last for last year's con, they kept the archives for a year. So you'll have to see what happens this year. So you have a year in which you can feel guilty you haven't watched them yet. Mm. And we can regularly remind Alison, had she watched any Firecon? Or does she just feel guilty? Every every episode, listeners, we will do a new feature called Did Alison Watch the Firecon Program Yet? And it will just be <laughs> Alison saying no every time. And because I, I know I'm the same, like I, I have the best intentions and then um, I never catch up with the program. Yeah, no. 
but I am I am a person who doesn't even have the best intentions at this point. I mean, I'm <laughs> I know exactly how overcommitted I am. I'm sure your intentions are very lovely. One thing that did happen at Firecon was the uh, Ignite Awards, which were announced. And Liz, you said things about the Ignite Awards before we recorded. So do you want to speak a little bit about these? So at, they also announced the winners of the 2021 Ignite Awards, which are the Firecon Annual Awards. Um, and they have uh, multiple categories, best novel of adult in adult middle grade um i've got to say i haven't actually read any of the winners unfortunately but i have read some of the nominees that i really quite liked i think we've discussed before the city we became by nk jemison was on there and also vagabonds by hao jing fang was a, a nominee for best adult novel um in the best ya novel i read elatsoe by darcy little badger which i thoroughly enjoyed and i think john you're a big fan of ray bearer ray bearer is really good i enjoyed it i probably don't I don't know whether I like it more than Latsaway. I've been going back and forth on that. Um, the one that won, Legendborn, I've also read. I thought it was by far weaker than both of the others, which I find interesting. I haven't read... So I've read the winner of Best Novel, which is Black Sun by Rebecca Rowanhorse, which I thought was good and probably better than the Jemison, but I haven't read the other three. Um, and I've read Riot Baby, which I thought was really good. And I've read The Inaccessibility of Heaven by Aliette de Baudard, uh, which I also thought was really good. Um, and I've read the Parable of the Sower comic, which won for Best Comics Team. I'm not sure what... I guess that means you can nominate a creative team regardless of, like, exactly when the trade paperbacks came out. Like, it's understood that you're nominating the team behind a work rather than, like, a specific trade paperback. But, um, but yeah, um, but I, I enjoyed that as well. Um, Generally speaking, the ones that I have read of the winners seem good, uh, except for Legendborn, which I didn't really didn't really care for, uh, but which clearly other people liked. Yeah, I guess the joy of nominating Best Comics Team is you don't end up with weird situations where, you know, an ongoing comic which is divided into arcs gets nominated in multiple parts or, you know, versus a comic which is ongoing. But it also would allow you to do things like uh, comics which are divided into arcs, which are drawn by different uh, artists but have the same writer. For instance, I guess you could nominate them as a as a team in whatever format you wanted. I think it's a pretty good way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. And also one thing I will say is that it's interesting to me um, that the shortlists, like the, the, the nominated works for the categories that have a Hugo Award equivalent are generally kind of there is some overlap there um in every category except for best short story which is um five completely different stories which i guess goes to show like how much breadth there is in the genre in short stories at the moment um novelettes uh the only one that crosses over is the winner the the inaccessibility of heaven uh the other the other four are also uh different in the um ignite shortlist than they are in the best short story hugo award finalists so i thought that was quite interesting uh and probably says something about just how much shorter fiction there is kind of available in the genre um at the moment golden age etc etc if if you look at the short story nominations and the hugos and you look at how long the tale is of stories with a handful of nominations in uh short story versus novelette and novella it is a much much longer tale and especially i think 
the novella market um, in some ways has expanded because um, Tor.com published an awful lot of novellas, but I think um, maybe we've lost some of the other venues that might, you know, magazines that might publish novellas. So I think that is a much smaller pool. Um, but there are also some really good novellas coming out. So I don't think it's, it's, it's not that the pool is so small, you can't have a really cracking shortlist. It's just that the number of short stories is immense. Yeah. Hooray for the genre. Yeah, yeah. Yep. To segue seamlessly from the breadth of short fiction into picks, I have recently been reading issue one of Constellation magazine, um, which I have been thoroughly enjoying. Uh, for those who don't know, um, that was a magazine which is bilingual in English and Spanish, uh, and it has English stories that are translated into Spanish and Spanish stories that are translated into English. And so, if you if you um, get an issue, it will have both versions of each story in. Um, it was on Kickstarter a while ago. I kickstarted the first issue. And yeah, I've been really enjoying it. I will put a link in the show notes to where you can go and read it online. Um, I really enjoyed the Bowles, Curtidor and Older stories um, so far. Uh, I think I'm about halfway through issue one, um, but it's really good. And it has convinced me to back it on Patreon. Um, so yeah, that is very good. Uh, and I have been very much enjoying reading that. And especially like getting a glimpse into Spanish language SF. Um, although I am not sufficiently fluent in Spanish to be able to read the stories in the Spanish without having to look a lot of words up on the way. I refuse to select anything for my picks that I have not completely consumed yet, which is a bit of a problem because I have been dipping in and out of multiple TV shows and also reading a very long space opera book, which is very good so far. But I've got to read the other 200 pages to tell you if it, it finishes well. Um, so I'm going to have a non-genre pick um, because the one thing I have watched in full in the past 10 days is the latest series of Nailed It, the baking show on Netflix, um, where essentially people try and make really elaborate cakes and always fail to make the really elaborate cakes. And, you know, Alison was asking, is this not kind of really mean? But I think the thing is, at least by the point of series six, everyone who goes on this show knows they will completely fail to make the cakes. They do not get enough time. There is no way they have enough time to make them. But it, it's about kind of who can do the best job. And the the co-hosts have such a kind of lovely chemistry and kind of gentle mockery of each other and the rest of the crew. Um, and it's also clear now that people are coming on the show because they really want to meet the people who host the show and have them say something nice about their cakes. And also, I get that it's probably very difficult to bake under pressure when you're being, you know, filmed in a TV studio and you're very excited. But if one more person takes their cake out of the oven and puts them straight in the chiller and doesn't realise that this means that they will, uh, all the oil will, you know, chill and the cakes will then be stuck to the tin, then I think any contestants really need to watch the previous six series in order to not do that. Also, there is an episode in which they do blind baking of uh, pies where you put the beans in to um, so the pastry bakes without bubbles. And this is a bit of a spoiler, but more than one contestant leaves the beans in. That, fair enough. That's quite funny. It's got Adrian Pimento on it from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who also played Derek in The Good Place. Derek? And that is something that has tempted me to watch it in the past. Should we all three say Derek at the same time? Derek? <laughs> They do, in fact, call Jason Manzoukas on the latest series because presumably he was off filming somewhere and could not come and be a judge. So they just 
basically call him for absolutely no reason other than it's quite nice to call up Jason Manzoukas and he might say something funny. They have excellent guest judges as well. That's awesome. I might have to look that up. So so I have three picks. <laughs> um, I have a thing which is which you can go and watch. I'm going to talk about it very quickly, which is kind of genre adjacent, which is that on iPlayer at the moment, there is a 1975 adaptation of Three Men in a Boat, where the three men are Tim Curry, who is genre adjacent, Michael Palin, who is pretty genre adjacent, I would say, and Stephen Moore, who is genre adjacent. Marvin the Paranoid Android. <laughs> Indeed. And the adaptation was done by Tom Stoppard. And the entire thing is directed by Stephen Frears. And it's not actually as good as you might expect, given that, but it's still pretty good. It's only an hour ago. Watch it. Um, that's obviously Three Men in a Boat being a historical account of a boating trip through Oxford and environs. is not very genre, but there you go. Um, and then I have a thing which is genre. Having mentioned Woomera last time and for my guff report, I read Blast Off at Woomera by Hugh Walters and I enjoyed it more than I expected to. Um, so it's quite a rollicking story about the daring do of boys in the in 1957, which is when, I mean, I don't know if it's actually set in 1957, it was published in 1957 and it's kind of tells of the machinations of the... Um, English governmental class at that time um, as written in a book for young boys. I don't think Hugh Walters necessarily realised that he was writing for girls as well until girls started to write to him and tell him how much they liked his books after which he put more girls in. So that's that's quite a good sign for the times. Um, but this one doesn't really have any... It, it has some perfectly adequate women characters in it but it doesn't have any girls in it. The main character is a boy Um and it's actually much better than I remembered. So, I mean, it's not much better than I remembered because obviously I remembered thinking these books were amazing. Um, but then in retrospect, I thought, oh, no, they can't have been very good. But in fact, it's not bad if you like adventure stories from the 50s. Um, and then I have a third pick, which is that while I was sick, I watched um, some <laughs> YouTube streams of a person who's famous for being... for doing Sudoku on the internet instead playing through a video game called The Witness and it reminded me how much I liked The Witness and in fact it reminded me enough that I'm playing it again and the thing about The Witness is it tells its science fiction story without using any words there are that's not quite true because there's some kind of archive recordings and videos of real people saying things that real people said um, but there isn't actually any words in the plot of the game so i think that's quite interesting and also it's it's one of the best puzzle games ever made so if you have any interest at all in puzzle games you've probably already played it um so yeah that's those are my picks those were all quite quick though weren't they it's three okay if they're quick and i don't draw breath so it's hard to edit out no, so so I think, and I, and and I have not played the witness, but having heard you talk about it, I might have to look it up. Add infinitum for a week. <laughs> well, because it's by the chap who did Braid, which I quite liked. It is by the chap who did Braid. He basically made a load of money. So imagine you had made forty million quid on Braid or something like that. Would you then spend it all? 
making your next game and a bit more besides? Or would you go, no, 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 I need some money for my for my pension and things like that? I mean, you know, it's art, isn't it? I mean, I think The Witness has washed its face. I think it did very well. I'm about a quarter of the way through The Witness and it's not that quick if you're rubbish at puzzle games. So... Oh, sorry. It, it, it was a quick description, not a quick game. It's quite a slow game. Unless you're Simon from Cracking the Cryptic, in which case he goes through he goes through these puzzles at a rate of knots, go click, 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 and everyone's like, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really slow. I'm not good at this at all. I don't really see, I'm really stuck on this one. I'm really, really very stuck. And meanwhile, Mark's there going, and here's $10 from Bertie in, in Michigan going, you're not stuck at all, Simon, you're doing really well. And by then he's solved it and people are like, he's complaining it's slow because it's taken him five minutes and it took me three hours to solve this puzzle. That's fair. I can um, I can get it on my Mac for £35 or on my iPad for 9 It's I'd get it on the iPad because the entire game is about drawing lines with your finger. Ah, yeah, no, I might get it, yeah. So it's lovely on the iPad. It looks very the, pretty. The graphics aren't quite as nice, but but the actual how to play it is much better on the iPad. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. See, I have it on the PlayStation, which is why my phone also contains, for example, this. Oh, yes, <clears throat> you will need to take notes. That's fair. Uh, oh, no, but I take notes on my iPad. I have to buy a new iPad. Yeah, this is the problem. Okay, so I take screenshots and then I open up a window with good notes and then I scribble on my good notes thing. Oh, now that's just that's just good sense. That is that's um. I, I am I I am going to put. I'll send you a typical a typical screenshot for to put in the chapter as uh, the chapter art for this. Thank you, thank you. So I will do that. And apparently, the witness won best iOS game of the year twenty seventeen. So. Yeah, high praise, probably. Do we have anything else on picks? Out of three, which I think is enough. Did you have a pick, John? What's your pick? Constellation magazine. Oh, yeah, Constellation. Yes. Do you read them in Spanish? No, because I am insufficiently good at Spanish. Now, I know people are going to write in, and I'm very sorry, people, uh, but I am reading the first Harry Potter book in Spanish. The reason I am doing this is not because I love transphobia. I just want to get that out of the way in advance. But it's basically because I am familiar enough with the Harry Potter story, having it having been one of the formative stories of my childhood. Um, and it, it is a series of novels which has been widely translated. And so I was able to procure it in Spanish and then I can read it. And I know the story well enough that, like, I can... Mm, it's kind of like a safety blanket. Like, I can understand most of the words and like if I trust myself I do understand the gist of most of what's being said although when pronouns get involved it always gets complicated. Uh, I think this is true in any language but certainly it's the bit of Spanish I find the hardest. Um, but it is it is really cool to be able to read it in Spanish and kind of just pick out the words I don't know and add them to my Anki uh, deck and it's it's proving quite a good way of kind of building up my confidence with interpreting written Spanish. Um, but obviously it is written at a lower level than the stories in Constellation are, because the ones in Constellation are designed for adults. And uh, Harry Potter is written for 11-year-olds. And in Spanish, I am 11. I mean, mentally I'm 11 as well, as anyone who's witnessed me tell jokes will know. 
But yeah, in terms of reading comprehension, I think Harry Potter is probably about my speed in Spanish. Yeah, so, so Harry Potter is not a bad choice for language learning generally because it's it's translated into every every language on earth practically. Yeah. If anyone has any recommendations for um, British kind of children's books that British children might have read who are my age that have been translated into Spanish that do not give J.K. Rowling money when I buy them, please do write in. I would be very interested. Or read something that was originally written in Spanish but is mostly read in translation in English. Oh, good point. So yes, if anyone has any recommendations for things like that, please also write in. Turned out most of my witness screenshots were deeply spoilery which i should probably have worked out if i thought about it (laughs) right i think we should this is not going to be on the podcast so let's finish the podcast and then you can chat yeah let's just go like i'm really tired okay is there anything else that is going to be on the podcast is there anything we're looking forward to in the next two weeks and four days uh i'm hopefully going to finish a book hey hold on liz that was the 41st episode of the Octothought podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. I haven't done any of my Hugo reading and oh god. I like that you're using your um sexy deep voice at the moment. Um it reminds me of is it Friends episode where Phoebe has a cold and does the sexy singing. This is my husky voice. Woof 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 <laughs> <laughs> Oh bloody hell I have to keep it in now. I think we can probably cut most of that. <laughs> it's not a joke worth keeping. Joke. Woof woof. Woof woof. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin McLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.